0: Hello and welcome to Meaning, an exploration of how spiritual significance emerges from the life and the work of Plymouth Congregational Church of Minneapolis. I'm your host, Chris Bonhoff. There's a new face here on the staff of Plymouth Congregational Church. Our new Director of Spiritual Formation, Madeline Sievertson. Madeline never dreamt she'd work in a church. But a life of spiritual exploration and experimentation has led her here to what she says might just be her dream job. We talked about her winding path and where she finds meaning in the pursuit of spiritual formation. Did you go to church growing up?
1: Yeah, I grew up Lutheran. And the church that we went to is over by the University of Minnesota campus here in town. Okay. Grace University Lutheran Church. And it was... In some ways, a lot like Plymouth. You know, I often described it growing up as it's Lutheran bordering on you, you, Unitarian Universalist, mm. in that it was Lutheran. And also, I was very encouraged to ask all the questions I wanted and explore all the other religious traditions I wanted. And that was not only encouraged, but it was facilitated by the church staff. So my first experience with Buddhist meditation was with my church youth group because we did a field trip. So I grew up there, and I think because the community also was really rooted in social justice and activism and advocacy, I don't think I had the experience that some people have of being taught principles in church that they don't see the congregation following. Mm. And I think that's partly why I never did a full rejection of Christianity you know as a teenager or in college i wasn't totally sure about religion mm-hmm. but i liked the community i liked the congregation i liked what they stood for and so it wasn't i never thought this is a whole this is a waste of time yeah and so i stayed around even when i was like i don't know what to do with any of the religious claims mm-hmm. but this community is really great
0: so i'm curious about those times when you like especially in your teens or whenever it happened that that you were questioning all of the you know religious concepts Mm -hmm. that were coming into your life and do you have memories of of like doing that questioning in your church community or where did that happen
1: well a lot of it did happen at youth group okay but i think i I think I was looking for someone to say, and here, let me make it all make sense to you. Even though that was never promised to me in the uh-huh. congregation, but I was really hoping that somebody could just say, here's the deal. Let me tell you what's going on. And then it would all make sense. The way that, you know, you could ask your teacher at school, like, I don't understand this concept in biology. Can you explain it to me? Yeah, And they could, mm-hmm. at least on some level. And I think I was hoping that that was out there. Yeah. And so there was sort of the questioning of religious concepts and claims that I couldn't fully wrap my head around. And I also wasn't sure when people said, Well, we just learned to live with the questions. I don't think I've ever heard anybody explain exactly what that means. Okay, do we just say, I'm living with the questions? But it never really felt settled or comfortable isn't the right word, but It never felt like I had a, okay, and here's how we do this. I went to St. Olaf College where there's a certain amount of required religion classes for anybody, no matter what the major is. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And so I took my biblical studies class my first year because it was required, and I didn't hate it. It wasn't Mm mind-blowing. It just was. But the professor wrote on the back of my paper, you know, you're good at this. Have you thought about majoring in religion? And I said, absolutely not. I'm never doing that. Mm. And then when I was deciding what theological studies class to take, I wanted to take every single class. I thought they all looked fascinating. And I called my dad and he said, that sounds like a major. Mm. And I said, oh, okay, but I don't want to study Christianity. I'm mm. not interested in that.
0: Can you explain that response?
1: Well, I thought theology was boring. Mm. And I think I had on some level... I think this is, that's the level that I gave up on Christianity.
0: Kind of on the abstract kind of that it's level?
1: That maybe not worth my time to study or mm-hmm. that it's not interesting to study. Mm. I, I also felt like I under, had a certain level of knowledge of Christianity, and I wanted to sort of equalize out mm. my level of knowledge of other traditions too. Sure. And so it wasn't all Christianity is useless, but it was also wanting to sort of see what else is out there and – you know, another thread of this is that I've always, my whole life, I've sort of wanted to be religious and have spiritual experiences. And the only places where I got close to that were not within Christianity. Mm. And so I was sort of curious about, well, what else is there? And do I want to be Buddhist? And how do you do that? And what else is there?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: At the time, there were many classes not focused on Christianity at St. Olaf, but they didn't always come around that frequently, or they didn't work with my schedule. So it was sort of difficult to say I'm avoiding Christianity entirely at a Lutheran college. (laughs) Sure. So I focused on comparative religion, which I had recently learned was a field. And that was really exciting to me. And I was working on, I don't ever want the paper to see the light of day ever again, but I wrote a paper on What is prayer and what is meditation in the Christian tradition and in the Buddhist tradition? And looking back, it's horrendous. (laughs) At the time, my professor thought it was good, and now I'm like, no. But that sort of sifting through, when two traditions say prayer, do they mean the same thing at all or not? What is meditation? Is it different from prayer? Is it the same? Over time, how has these words changed, and what does it mean when we say them in one context versus another and that has sort of carried through in my interests both academically and not so i decided that i wanted to go to graduate school for comparative religion and interfaith dialogue but not seminary not an mdiv none of that Mm -hmm. just a master's program Because I wanted to put together programs that teach people how to talk to each other about religion across lines of religious difference. How do we listen to each other? When we ask questions, how do we sort of step outside our Christian framework to ask a question? Because when we say, what's the Hindu concept of sin? That question makes no sense because sin is not a Hindu concept. Right. And so guiding people through how do we identify What are the parts of our religious vocabulary that are very specific to our own religious traditions? And if we want to communicate that to somebody else, how do we do that? Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And then when I got to grad school, it was so purely PhD focused and purely academic that they were not going to let me do field education unless I added academic components to it and all of this. And I said, but I want to work with people. How do I work with people? And what degree program will let me do that? And so I said, well, I guess it's an MDiv. So I guess I'm going to seminary, but I don't want to do ministry. I don't want to work at a church. No. (laughs) None of it. I don't want ordination. No, thank you. Mm -hmm. And then my field education was such a wonderful fit. It was at a campus ministry, but it wasn't housed in a church building. It was a separate property because it was a student living community. multi-faith community at the University of California, Davis. And so that felt, it had ministry in the title, but it felt removed enough from the things that I was scared of. And I could do the kinds of programs that I was dreaming of doing. And I learned that I really liked leading discussions among students and talking with students about where do their values come from and who taught them that hospitality is important or that honesty is important. Did they like where they grew up religiously, spiritually, or do they want something different? If they're looking for something different, how do they know how to find it and what it is? And So those kinds of questions were my favorite thing.
0: Yeah. What did those students have to teach you?
1: A lot of the struggles that I heard them talking about were things that I had also wrestled with, mm-hmm. which was you know many students would come from an evangelical background that they felt was not welcoming, inclusive, accepting of people, and feeling frustrated that the message is all are welcome, yeah. but not if you're not straight, not if you're not cisgender, all these things. Mm-hmm. And yet they were curious about things like prayer and things like big questions of meaning and what is, how do we wrestle with ethical questions is there anybody in the world who's living with integrity? Yeah. You know, we say this is what we value and this is what we believe, and therefore we do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I also, eventually students would come to me with, you know, I'm not, I'm not religious, I didn't grow up religious, but I have my grandmother's rosary, and I carry it around with me.
0: Mm-hmm. That's powerful.
1: What do I do with it? And I could say, you know, well, mm-hmm. here's how people pray the rosary. Just try it. Mm -hmm. You don't have to believe it if you don't want to. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: It doesn't have to be, you don't have to say, I am now going to pray the rosary every day of my life Mm -hmm. until I die. Just try it once, see what happens. And if you're like, didn't feel good or (laughs) Mm -hmm. didn't feel like me, then you can quit. And so I loved being able to encourage them with the the little pieces that they would offer of, this is what I think I want and say, well, try it. Sometimes I like the analogy of a thrift store where you go in and there are all kinds of styles of clothes, things that you would never choose if you went to, you know, like a, not a thrift store, just like a, I don't know what they're called, first-hand store, (laughs) but you can stand there in the aisles and say, well, maybe, and try it on. And maybe you buy it because it's only $2. And maybe it stays in your closet and you never wear it again, and then you give it right back, and that's fine. But sometimes you try these things on that you wouldn't think would be your style, and yet as, you know, you're looking at it in the mirror, actually, maybe I do like it. Yeah. And I think approaching spirituality that way, to me, has felt freeing. You know, I can just experiment with it. I can see if it feels like something I want to do again or... Never mind, I hate this.
0: Yeah. What came next?
1: Well, a pandemic came next. My whole seminary program ended up being a four-year adventure. Mm-hmm. And my time at campus ministry was three years. And the pandemic was really right in the exact middle of both of those. We're okay. close enough. And so, you know, I think I had already started thinking, oh well, maybe ministry isn't so terrible. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. But then when the pandemic came and we all had to, in the Bay Area, it was shelter in place.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: All of a sudden, you know, students were, not just students, I also was confused, scared. Everything about my life had been upended because we couldn't go anywhere. And we made a commitment, the staff of the organization that I worked for, were keeping all of our programming going on Zoom We'll figure out how to switch it over virtually and we will show up for our students. It's not gonna be, we're letting go of all the other things that we ever did. You know, there were certain attendance requirements to be in Mm. the intentional community and other things. All of that's gone, but we will have time on Monday and Wednesday nights and we'll do something. And one of the things that I did was, you know, at that time, Student, all their classes were on Zoom, and then all their fun was on Zoom, and they lived in ho- townhouses with each other, but I wasn't sure how much they were interacting with each other or not. And I said, we have to give people something to do that's not looking at a screen. And so I created the idea, we called it a weekly reflection guide, and we sent it out on Thursdays or Fridays, and it was, there was some kind of a prompt, and then there were suggested spiritual practices. And I don't think we called them spiritual practices, just suggested practices. Mm -hmm. And we tried to get a range of things that addressed different parts of people's selves. So spiritual, physical, intellectual, relational, and emotional. So I remember one, I gave a couple images. I think it was Sunday in the Park by George Surratt and Circles by Kandinsky. So two very different artistic styles i just put them on this you know pdf and then the practices were close your eyes and imagine yourself in a painting what is it like to walk through that setting at that time people were recreating famous paintings and statues with stuff in their own homes this was sort of a i don't know which art museum in the world had started this like Instagram oh, trend I
0: loved that that was so fun.
1: <laughs> so I had people do that, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes I would encourage people to write a letter to somebody or f- make a phone call to a friend who they hadn't talked to anything. And th- there was no obligation that students would do any of this, but then that would be sort of the prompt for our gathering the next Wednesday. And you know, it was you know, I was trying to be creative and other people on staff offered prompts and practices to, I loved introducing people to, there's really no pressure, just try it out, maybe you like it. And then that carried through that summer, I designed a virtual pilgrimage with Howard Thurman, not with him, because he's no longer with us, but based on his life and his work. And I think the practicing, giving people those kinds of experiments and knowing From a class that I had taken that people have been doing pilgrimage in place or vicarious pilgrimage for hundreds of years in the Christian tradition, I think that gave me the confidence to say, well, of course we can make a pilgrimage in place that people do, again, individually. It wasn't designed with any sort of Zoom meeting or even anything with anybody else. It was really meant to just be a break in people's lives during a tough summer. So that's why I do what I do. Because at every stage, I thought, I don't know, that's not what I want to do, but I can, I, I'm okay with something close. Yeah. And every, at every stage, it's sort of gotten closer and closer to what I'm doing now at Plymouth. And I've told people that this position here at Plymouth is as close to a dream job as I think I'll ever get. Or if I were going to write my ideal job description, yeah. this would be it. People would ask me well, you're graduating from seminary, but you don't want to be a pastor. What do you want to do? And I said, adult spiritual formation. Because I love unearthing bits of the tradition that have been either forgotten or dismissed, or maybe we think there's nothing more interesting there. It's in the past for a reason. And pulling it out and saying, there's something here. And because I love increasing people's religious literacy, both about Christianity, and other religious traditions, because I think that's very important. So I would say I want to do classes, workshops, books, conversations, retreats. And so when this position was available, I can't not apply for it. Mm -hmm. People in my Mm -hmm. life said, this is you. I was listening to a podcast, and James Finley, who teaches at the Center for Action and Contemplation, and has written about Christian meditation he said spirituality is experiencing what faith proclaims and he wasn't talking about spiritual formation but i was like oh that's that's sort of it that's how you that is spiritual formation so you have to know what does faith proclaim mm-hmm. and there's a not just religious literacy but also maybe tradition literacy not just how does christianity look at it but how does our little corner of christianity understand those concepts or reject those certain concepts. So there's the, what does faith proclaim? And we need to know what that is. And then to experience it, how do we practice doing it? And this can be meditation or prayer, but I also think about when we think about how do we welcome the stranger? How do we practice hospitality? How do we practice doing that in our homes, in our church, in -hmm. our city? Every day, how can we practice doing hospitality?
0: Right. And this spiritual formation, that is your sense of of how how that comes to be?
1: Yes, because I also think spiritual formation is a recursive, reciprocal practice of aligning beliefs and actions. How do our beliefs inform what we do? And then how do... Our actions inform, our actions and experiences inform what our beliefs are.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Identifying that connection for yourself, mm-hmm. your own lived experience in conversation with, with your beliefs. And there's a, a reciprocal nature as well when spiritual formation is done in community. Mm-hmm. There's that, that alchemy that, that happens when your lived experience is coming up in contact with other people's lived experiences, and, you know, the nuances of how different people articulate their beliefs. that is really powerful in in helping that, that cyclical kind of process to unfold.
1: Sort of within the church world, there's my Latin is not good but lex orandi lex credendi what we pray is what we believe mm-hmm. and when i was taught this my professor added lex vivendi which is what we how we live mm-hmm. and she drew it with arrows you know so if you imagine a triangle one vertex is lex orandi what we pray mm-hmm. one vertex is lex credendi what we believe and one vertex is lex, lex vivendi how how we live Mm-hmm. And there are arrows pointing both ways on each of these sides of the triangle. So it can go one way around the circle or the other way around the circle. Yeah. So there are be- the beliefs of the community, of the congregation, we bring those into worship in the form of prayers of the people. If whoever's preaching brings those in, any time when there's opportunity for reflection and interaction between people in the worship space. That impacts then what people do and also what they might pray in their own lives, what they might believe in their own lives. And so it's all intertwined in this process of refining or bringing in new beliefs into something that has already felt like a cohesive whole, then there's something new. And how do we work this in? What might need to change or shift in order to bring in something new that is also important
0: I mean really, the idea of a cohesive whole when talking about spirituality is such a tricky thing too, because you know the, you know the divine is not something that we can you know settle on mm-hmm. it's infinite <laughs> and ever evolving
1: and I think this is where i where I landed on. You know, I used to be looking for somebody who could sort of make it all make sense.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And many people have tried to write down, here's here's all of Christian thought and theology, and this, it all makes sense. Right. And it does not. <laughs> and I think, not that I've read, you know, Thomas Aquinas' systematic theology or anybody else's in its entirety, mm-hmm. but I think... When we try to do that, there's a level of minutiae that we have to deal with all of these things and then fitting it into a system yeah. as if that's going to be the end of it. Where I've landed on how is it that we live with the questions, well, we have what we think is our cohesive whole, and when we encounter something that doesn't fit in, we need to integrate that somehow. Some things might just streamline right in and fit pretty neatly and other things might need us to really sift through and I think about sort of a box of junk that's been in the closet some things in there might be worth saving Mm -hmm. some things in there might need to be fixed or tweaked or reorganized some things in there we pull out and we go I didn't even know I still had this Mm -hmm. and I don't want it anymore
0: a big welcome to Plymouth to Madeline Sievertson May you guide the community into new questions, new practices, and new understandings in the years to come. Thank you for listening, and thanks to Jimmy Hulse for our theme. Your thoughts and feedback are always welcome. Email us anytime at meaning at Plymouth.org. Meaning is a project of Plymouth Congregational Church of Minneapolis.